there's a couple of kinds of put-ons. Um, it's a pretense, a joke, uh, perhaps a lie pertaining to an attitude or an action. Acting is something you're not to impress somebody or to confuse somebody. Uh, and all of us have had this kind of action done to us. We've done it to other people, kind of a put-on. Um, and I've seen put-ons done in business and uh, as a joke among friends or used for intimidation. And this kind of put-on that I'm talking about, it's not a biblical put-on, but it's, it's just, you know, uh, let me just put it, one of the best I've ever seen is from the movie Courageous. You guys seen the movie Courageous, anybody? Okay, well, let me set the scene a little bit. Um, two Christian police officers riding in a car with their friend Jave. And Javi is a mild-mannered um, Hispanic. He's, he's along for a ride-along. And uh, they're good friends, the three of them. And during this ride-along, they are called to assist fellow officers in transporting some three guys who are arrested and, and need to go to jail. And uh, the problem is they have Javi in the back seat. So for a sense of protection, they talk, and Javi takes on the persona of a gang leader. And it's, it's uh, they made up the name the Snake Kings because Javi, when he was a kid, he and his brothers had developed a gang called the Snake Kings, but it was just a silly boyish thing. And... Uh, well, can you run the clip? Will that work? Maybe. Pay attention to the uh, subtitles. Stay on your side. We will protect you. Here, guys. Roll it. Let's go south. All you. All you. This is 693C, we're 1095 en route to the jail, ETA 10 to 20 minutes. Vamos a almorzar. Me voy a comprar un pollo. What's he saying, man? Hey, man, just don't talk to him. You stay on your side. Que a lo mejor unas papas fritas con un batido. Hey, man, hey, he's threatening me. Hey, I think he wants to kill me. Just calm down. If he wanted to kill you, you'd be dead by now. Hey, he's free! Hey, he's free! Hey, stop! 
If you've never seen the movie, I would strongly suggest you take the time to watch it. It's a great movie. And it's really about fatherhood and what fathers are supposed to do. But that's one type of put on. In the Bible, there's another type of put on. And Paul uses the term quite a bit. Its antonym is put off. Paul uses that quite a bit. But they're all in a very different way. Put on, or put off, I should say, uh, the Greek phase, phrase, the Greek phrase is apatithomi. And it means to put off, lay aside, lay down, cast off, put away, lay apart, get rid of. Think of it as taking off your old worn jacket, laying it on the, on, you know, just laying it, and, and, you know, for guys, the jacket is perfect, right? It's old, it's comfortable, and then your wife comes along, picks it up, throws it in the trash. <laughs> That's putting off. Putting on is, is a little different. It's, the Greek word is in duo, and what it means is to like you took that jacket off to put something new on. To wear something wonderful. You really like that old jacket. But the new one has pockets your old one didn't have. It has a zipper that works. You know, things like that. And today I want to look at those two words as they apply to a Christian's life and what Paul intended by those. Um, and it's all about change. It's all about change. We're gonna look at some basic truths from the Apostle Paul. We're gonna talk about how to tell if there really is a change in a person's life. How to tell if there's really a change in our lives how to be able to help somebody with understanding what a real change towards the Lord really looks like. In Ephesians chapter 4, I have no idea what page that is in the Pew Bible, but um, if you want to follow along, it's uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
So basically, Paul is saying, look, you don't want to follow the world. Because the world is evil. And we see that kind of evil every day in our lives. Whether it's a TV commercial, TV shows, even the news. We constantly see people living for sensuality. We see the idea on TV that sex sells. Sensationalism. There's a lie in every commercial. Mine is best. You need it now. There's greed. There's political agendas to make politicians wealthy at the people's expense. We hear about organizations such as Planned Parenthood. We hear about males claiming to be females and vice versa. We hear about all kinds of of sexuality that's prohibited in the Bible. And yet they're presented to us as no big deal. We need to accept this stuff. It's okay. And Paul responds to these type of things in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, where he says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. All these things that are against God, Satan sells us as good. And he uses people to do it. Why is it so easy for him? In the old days in this country, things were a little bit different. Has anybody ever heard of the New England Primer? Everything in that book that taught kids how to read has to do with the Bible. 130 years ago. You can get it on Amazon Kindle for 99 cents or something if you want to check it out. Every example is a biblical quote, a story, ABCs were taught using names from the Bible. And it's very different now, isn't it? Jesus Christ cannot even be mentioned in public schools. Morals are taught to be transitory. Little boys and little girls, five and six-year-old, are told they can be, not in every school, but are told they can be boys or girls or whatever they want to be. Totally going against the word of God. There's educators who disagree and don't follow that party line, so to speak. My son's a school administrator. Nancy's a teacher. They struggle with this stuff. And we need to pray for them. Because that's our future, those little kids. And then the idols we have. Anybody got an idol sitting in their home? Nobody? (laughs) That's right. Going to give you an idea how old I am. Not as old as some of you, older than others, but 
you remember the Ed Sullivan show? Did anybody see the first time the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show? You remember that? And the whole room, the audience, was girls, teenage girls, crying out and holding their hearts. And, and why, were some of you among them? <laughs> You know, they were fainting. All the things that history recorded as worship to idols. Think of that. What's an idol today? Do we have any? Sure we do. We shouldn't. I, 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 by we, I don't mean you guys, okay? I'm not saying anybody here has an idol. But if you think about it, in the book Desiring God, it's explained this way. It says, well, it's the thing. It's the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. It could be the approval of other people. It could be success in business. It could be sexual stimulation. It could be a hobby or a musical group that you are following or a sport or your immaculate lawn. I got the best lawn. I spend all my money on my lawn. It looks great. People comment about how awesome it is. <coughs> Excuse me. At one time I had an idol in my life. It was tools. Tools I needed. Tools I wanted but didn't really need. And tools I really didn't need, but just wanted. People are looking around the room like they know people like that. Tools I had no possible use for, but I spent tons of money purchasing these tools. I worked side jobs to amass my fortune in tools. I missed church, prayer, meetings, and Bible studies for the sake of my idols. I had four 16-inch dual chrome-plated crescent wrenches. I had to have them. Does anybody know how many crescent wrenches you can use at one time? Just one. But I had to have them. Those things that are driving forces in the people around us, we need to watch out for those. We need to watch our own lives. And don't misunderstand, we need to provide for our families. Nothing wrong with having a successful business, that's not an idol, unless the business takes place of your time with God. We can enjoy entertainment, sports, are sports in the Bible? Tell Ian the Seattle Seahawks are nowhere in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> but it's okay to enjoy sports once in a while. 
Being wealthy doesn't mean you have an idol. Being strong doesn't mean you have an idol. I've seen more people in this church and others show they don't have idols by being very giving of their time and their talents for the Lord. An idol depends only on the attention you give it. And I'm not saying this because we in this church need help. I'm saying we can help others who have that issue. An idol is something that places distance between you and the Lord. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 6.16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Why do I mention all this? Because all of us should want to grow closer to the Lord. When we disciple other people, when we help other people, we want to have biblical answers we can give them. And in our lives, I I know for me, coming through Christian counseling and and things like that and, and how people can change, there were hopes that people had. Hopes of change. A couple broke up and the wife came to me and said that they'd broken up because he was a habitual liar. About a week after they broke up, he came to her and said, he's changed. He said he's not going to lie to me anymore. How do you know? Was he lying to you right then? You know, you don't know. This one I heard a lot of. He has fits of anger about any number of things. Sometimes I've been afraid of what he might do and some of the things he has done. But he says he's changed. How do you know this change has taken place? Or we separated because she just couldn't control her mouth. Everything was negative. It was a constant put down uh, of me and the kids. Some of the words we used were words that would embarrass a drunken sailor. But she says she's changed. How do you know a person's changed? You listen to psychologists today and they really can't pin it down. Time, time will tell. Well, that's that's true in one way. But so much of psychology is a lie as well. Now, I'm not saying the medical issues people have with chemical imbalances and things like that. I'm just saying people whose emotions are run amok and they have no control over them. And psychology has a really weird way of trying to set people straight when the Bible has a better way.
Just a brief history, a Presbyterian minister named Jay Adams in the mid-60s started a movement to bring Christians away from the growing infiltration of psychology in the church. He was professor of pastoral counseling at Westminster Theological Seminary. And he became appalled at the curriculum he was to teach. It was more Freudian, young, 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 whatever that guy's name is, Rogerian, Maslow, and, and, and others more than it was the Bible. And he was deeply concerned about that. And Jay felt himself being called by God to do something about it. Because you see, Jay read a couple of verses, just a couple, that impressed him greatly. 1 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. And then in Romans 15, 14, Paul says, I'm myself satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to counsel one another. Wow. If most of the answers to life's issues in our, in our growing closer to the Lord and in helping other people are in the Bible, shouldn't we look to the Bible first? Shouldn't that be our goal? Here's the hard one. Shouldn't we know the Bible enough to know where to go and what to say to people? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, it says, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. And here we go. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That's a big change, isn't it? We put off that old jacket, so to speak, let God pick it up and trash it, not our wives, because we love our wives and, and all that, but, and then to put on what God provides for us. Something different. So the put off and the put on, what's that all about? Anybody ever heard the old children's joke, when is a door not a door? Anybody know the answer? When it's a jar. Change has occurred when, when what was has become something else. Paul continues in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, having put off falsehood, 
let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Huh. When does a chronic liar become a non-liar? When he becomes the teller of truth. When not so much as a hint of a lie comes out of her mouth. When they speak, you know that everything they say is truth. Not an exaggeration, not an embellishment, a simple truth. Now I know when people get together, they laugh and joke about each other, especially guys put each other down and laugh. And and that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that when somebody says something, you can believe what they say. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anybody here ever get angry? Anybody? We've all been angry from time to time. We've all been upset. I lived with it most of my growing up years. My stepdad was a mean drunk. And it took about half a beer to get him drunk at the bar and, and probably more than that. But, you know, he was just mean and angry all the time. And his anger would extend for days. It might change the subject, but it was like you lived in that world of anger. But here it says we can be angry as long as we don't sin. And there's lots to be angry about. War, lying politicians, some slight we've received, somebody treated us badly, lack of respect shown. But anger that is selfish, undisciplined, vindictive, is sinful and has no place in a Christian's life. We are not to return anger for anger. We're not to sin in our own anger. And we're to get over it each day. Do you see what the contrast is? You can be angry. Don't sin. Don't let it last more past sundown. And I know some, some of you might be thinking, well, we change time next week. That gives me an extra hour each day to be angry. No. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So when is a thief not a thief? It's not when he stops stealing. That's just a thief out of work. A thief is no longer a thief when he's working with his hands and looking out for the needs of others and is willing to part with something he has to help those in need. The contrast, the put off, the thieving, the put on, the working.
Put off corrupt talk coming out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupt talk, the Greek word for corrupt is sapros and refers to those things that are corrupt or foul and was used of rotten fruit, fruit, fruit. All right, rotten feet too. You know how bad that can be. Um, Vegetables, other spoiled food, decaying flesh, and excrement. And at the time of the Greek writing, this included profanity, gossip, talking behind someone's back. We've all heard the old adage, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. You see, that's a difference. When people start talking in that way, and you've been around them a long time, and then all of a sudden they don't. Those words they used to say are no longer coming out of their mouth. That's when the change has happened. And we can apply these to almost every sin someone's in, Almost every situation someone's in where there's that sin in their life. And we can help people because we can go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we can say, How does this apply? How does this situation apply? Verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Wow. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit that dwells within us? By participating in the sin of this world. By buying into the fact that that our answers are not in God's word, but are found somewhere else. by buying into the fact that I can live the way I want. And I've told you before about that guy I met in Michigan. No offense, Dorothy, I know you're from Michigan. Um, Who believed 100% that he could believe in Christ and go on living with all the debauchery he wanted and it was okay because he believed in Christ. It's not the way it is. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. So Paul adds this in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put off from you along with all malice. Do you know that most of the times the word bitterness is used in the Bible, it's referred to a root of bitterness? Something that just grows in you and twists around and takes over everything that you are. It willfully holds on to angry feelings. It's ready to take offense. It's, it's you know, you're able to break out in anger at any moment. And that big danger is that it rules, it rules our hearts. We get bitter about something. 
we should let it go. But what it causes is it refuses reconciliation. Wrath is anger, you know, forthwith boiling up and soon subsiding again. I lived with that growing up. Sudden anger because the chicken scratch wasn't spread in the right exact spot on the ground. Uh, I could name a thousand things. And clamor, we're going to live without clamor. What is that? Well, the modern term we would use is drama. (laughs) There's so much drama in that house, I can't believe it. We're to live without that. There's no need for it. But then what are we to do? We're to put on things. Paul, to finish this chapter, says, put on being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Man, if somebody slights me anymore, I don't care. It's between them and God. I can get over it. It's no big deal. And believe me, as a construction superintendent, a lot of people want to slight you. And early in my career, I boiled up and I took that 16-inch crescent wrench and I was ready to pound them over the head with it. Not anymore. It's no big deal. Kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Those are the things we're to put on. Those are the things we're to live with. There's a parallel passage in Corinthians chapter 3. Kelly read that to us this morning. It says in in chapter uh, 3 verse 10, and put on the new self. That's a big put on. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Man, we're supposed to walk like Jesus. Act like Jesus. There's not a Greek. Oh, here here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. All people. How many of you remember the little children's song, Jesus Loves the Little Children, All the Children of the World? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And in some schools, our our kids are being told that some people are oppressors and some people are oppressed, and that's all based on skin color, and that's that's not biblical. What the Bible teaches is we're people. Doesn't matter our skin color, doesn't matter where we are. We're all people. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Compassionate heart means that there's somebody who needs and you see to their needs. You do what you can. Kindness is moral goodness, integrity. What's that song say? Just try a little kindness. You know, we ought to be kind to people. No matter who or what they are, how they've treated us. Humility. Don't think you're all that hot because you're not. You know, act with humility. Anybody know who Harvey Milktoast was? The epitome of what we describe as meekness in our world today. Do you know that the Greek word for meek has nothing to do with that? Prootes originated in Greek in dealing with horses, if you can believe that, horses. It denotes a stallion under control. Think of that. I'm strong. Nobody wants to mess with me, but I'm in control of myself. Do whatever you want against me. I'm strong. I can take it. I'm in control. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's that forgiveness thing again. And man, some people want to hold that lack of forgiveness so tight. That person said something to me four years ago. And I'm not going to let it go. It's not the way we're supposed to be. And the great put on. The greatest put on of all. And I'll I'll finish up with this. Verse 14. And above all these put on love. The Greek word is agape. Loving people expecting nothing in return. Just, you know, me looking at George and saying, I love you, man. And it's okay. That agape love. It's treating people all the best that we can because of that love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Where do we get the wisdom? From the Bible. Not with what the world has to say. Oh, I would never forgive him. Oh, you need to stand up for your rights. Not that kind of stuff. teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What a way to end a morning, huh? What an awesome thing. With thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, we do it for the Lord. That's a lot. Lord, I'm picking up trash in the church parking lot. Lord, I saw somebody over there having trouble with their car. Let me go help them if I can. You know, you can get in weird situations like that. Mike's not here today. But he told the story of what happened to me when I went to help a lady jump her truck. She had talked to my wife. I put her in my truck and we drove over to her truck and, and we got it jumped and started. And she said, do you like Chili Verde? I said, not really. She says, well, I'm making some for dinner tonight and I'm lonely. You know, if you're lonely, there's a great church over there. You see, we do everything for the glory of God, not for ourselves.